showtime, folks. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Saturday Matinee Theater brought to you by your friends at the Long Box Crusade. This week we have something so very special for you. It's our 10th episode. We made it to episode 10. Since this is the 10th episode of Saturday Matinee Theater, we decided to take a quick break from the 1954 Sherlock Holmes TV show that we have been indexing. If you've been loving that, don't fret. It'll return back on track on our next episode. Since this crew also runs a podcast indexing all of the James Bond films over on our other channel, On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, in the spirit of that, we're sort of blending the two shows. This week, we're going to dive into the retro, the black and white world of 007 by looking at the very first screen version of Bond, James Bond, in Casino Royale from 1954. This Casino Royale episode is airing at the same time as our Sherlock Holmes episode, so it goes nicely in sync with what we've been doing with Holmes. So this was airing at the same time as those Holmes episodes we've been talking about. I'm your host, Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist, and joining me, as always, is the money penny to my 007, Pat Sampson, a.k.a. DJ Cristados. How are you feeling today, Cristados? Oh, I'm feeling very good today, old boy. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. I am glad that you took being the money penny to my 007 in stride because I'm planning on sexually harassing you at some point in the show. <laughs> well, I just won't tell him about that then. <laughs> Speaking of which, <laughs> joining me also today is the M to my bond. He gives me all my missions and my good advice. It is my brother, Jason, the Weasel Skull Albrick. How are you doing today, Jason? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I'm doing great. I'm kind of ticked off because I hired an assassin to put two bullets in the back of some guy and he missed from like three feet away. <laughs> That'll happen. A brief moment of silence for our friend Delvin the Dark Web Williams Felix Leiter, who could not make it on the show today due to some bad Wi-Fi on his airplane. We can expand upon that later or you can just trust us. But don't worry. We have a very special guest. We have Mr. Alan J. Porter, who is another host on the On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast Network. He does a regular in Index Review Show with Van Plexico. Mr. Porter kind of literally wrote the book on James Bond and comics. He wrote an awesome book called The History of the Illustrated 007. It's available on Amazon. Go get it. It's all about James Bond and comics. So if you're listening to Long Box Crusade, you know you love comics. If you listen to this episode, you probably love Bond. He's like the perfect Venn diagram. And oh, by the way, it gets more perfect. He also has two other volumes that you can purchase on Amazon. He wrote stories in the Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective Volume 6 and seven. So he's written Holmes. He's written Bond. He's got a British accent. He's an awesome guy. Welcome to the show, Alan Porter. What British accent? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> well, he has a more British accent than James Bond did in this movie. <laughs> That's true. We are off to the races. <laughs> Thank uh, you. It's great to be on the show. Like you said, mildly pissed that I didn't realize you guys were doing Holmes. I would have loved to contribute to that, but we will we give will. you that little oversight and uh, uh, move on. We can address that easily. We still have 30 more episodes of that to go, so yeah. squeeze you in. And we, we recently decided to eliminate our host has one opportunity policy, so I think we could have you come back. I think so. That would be awesome. Well, whenever we have guests on the show, usually on the home show, we ask them to say, hey, what's your first memory of Holmes? What's your favorite iteration of Holmes? Well, we're taking a break from Holmes. In fact, we usually fly everybody out to 221B in London to record the episodes. Today, we have all flown to France for this Casino Royale episode, so welcome to our France studio. Studios. And if you wouldn't mind, what is your first memory of James Bond? And what is your favorite iteration of the character? 
my first memory of James Bond is him being a little plastic frogman in a board game that a friend of mine got for his birthday. It was the Thunderball board game. I had no idea who James Bond was. We ended up playing the game incessantly over the school Christmas break. And I must have gone on about James Bond because that Christmas, my parents got me the Corgi DB5 and the James Bond annual, which had photographs from Thunderball and Goldfinger in it. And then I won a competition to go see a movie and I'm going to completely give my age away here. I said, let's go see the next James Bond movie, which turned out to be on Her Majesty's Secret Service. So I was completely confused because I didn't know if he was a frogman, Sean Connery or George Lazenby. Um, <laughs> but as soon as that guy went under the snow plowing on Her Majesty's Secret Service, I was hooked and I've been a Bond fan ever since. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I love it. I am jealous of the Corgi. I'm jealous of the board game. Peek behind the curtain. I knew Alan's origin story about that board game and I've been on a hunt for that one ever since. Yeah, the US version is very disappointing because that just has cardboard cutouts. You have to find the UK version for the plastic frogman. Yeah, um, favorite iteration? Actually, the original Fleming. I always go back to the Fleming books. Just love his pro style. I love his version of Bond. Um, Bond is more as a plot device. You can really sort of put yourself into the action. Fleming was a great travel writer, a great science writer, a great thriller writer. Highly underrated, I believe, as a literary figure. Always go back to Fleming. Awesome. And that's another reason why I love Alan Porter is because he and I see very eye to eye on the whole Timothy Dalton thing. Who? <laughs> Don't do jokes for Van to listen to later. <laughs> Van listens? No. So, Saturday Matinee Theater, it can get confusing because we've been talking homes and all of a sudden we're talking James Bond's original screen appearance in 1954. So, let's clear up the confusion. Christados, what's the show all about? Well, Jared, let me tell you what it's all about. Saturday Matinee Theater is a retro review, sometimes index show brought to you by the Longbox Crusade, where we will be taking you back to the past for some potentially overlooked retro awesomeness in the realm of television, movie serials, or films. Basically, if it's vintage and it's kind of forgotten, we're going to dig it up. This time around, though, we're going to look at the first on-screen appearance of Ian Fleming's famous super spy, James Bond. Bond's screen debut came on a TV series called Climax. Casino Royale was the third episode of the season one of this variety show that aired on CBS. So pour yourself a martini, take off your shoulder holster, and let the soothing sounds of my violin whisk you away to the Cold War era. with a violin. You're amazing. Yeah, I thought this was going to mess you up, but you just came out mm-hmm. just oh, ready I've, to I've play. Been, I've been practicing for this very special occasion. I'm glad Jarrett found the music sheet for what I just played. It was, you know, I love me some Bond and I love me some Sherlock, so I, you know, we get the best of both worlds. Yes, there you we, go. Yes, we do. Alan, do you play any musical instruments? <laughs> I will admit to once owning a bass guitar, whether I played it is a matter for discussion or not. Sounds <laughs> like bass guitar is a go. <laughs> yeah, I bet it does a great bass guitar right now. Wow! 
sold yourself. Holy short. Sure. You sold yourself. That was amazing. Did you play in a band? You played in a band. You had to. Yeah, I did, actually. We played support to the Buzzcocks once. That was our height of our fame. I don't know if we're allowed to say Buzzcocks on this show. <laughs> <laughs> it means something completely different in England. You're okay. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> okay. So for both of our listeners in England, that's going to be A-okay. Awesome. Not really. I just made that up. But... <laughs> <laughs> He's going to fit right in. I love this. Well, with that wonderful music from both DJ Cristados and Mr. Alan J. Porter, let's talk about Casino Royale. Its original air date was the 21st of October, 1954. It was directed by William H. Brown Jr., written by Charles Bennett, Anthony Ellis, from a novel by a guy named Ian Fleming. He might do something someday. That kid's going places. He's got some skills. The show stars Barry Nelson as James Bond, Peter Lorre as Le Chief, Linda Christian as Valerie Mathis, Michael Pate as Clarence Leiter. That's right. Clarence Lighter. Now, as a reminder to everybody, this episode of Climax, the Casino Royale episode, is available in its entirety on YouTube. It is out of copyright, so don't feel bad about going to watch it. It is about 52 minutes or so long. Not a huge time investment. If you haven't seen it already, we recommend you stop the podcast here, head over to YouTube, check out Casino Royale 1954, and then come back and we'll talk about it. With that, we're going to the plot summary. From Television City in Hollywood... Starring in tonight's production of Climax, a great new hour-long dramatic series from Hollywood. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, William Lundigan. Good evening. This doesn't look dangerous, does it? But it's killed plenty of men and women. It's made beggars of many and millionaires of a few. Mighty few. In French gambling casinos, this is called a shoe. It holds the cards for Baccarat, king of gambling games, and its purpose is to make sure that no one can pull any funny business like dealing from the bottom. The game to be played tonight is for the highest stakes of all. A man is going to wager his life. Climax presents Casino Royale from the bestseller by Ian Fleming. Stars Barry Nelson, Peter Laurie, and Linda Christian. And now... Casino Royale. James Jimmy Bond arrives at the casino just in time to be shot at, but he doesn't let that ruin his game night as he quickly befriends Clarence Leiter, the British intelligence officer who gives the American Bond, yeah, it's a little mixed up, his mission briefing. Bond is there to defeat Russian agent Le Chief at Baccarat. It seems Le Chief has been trying to win back the Soviet money that he has embezzled, and it's time for Bond to put him out of business. An old flame of Bond's, Valerie Mathis, shows up. But what's her angle? She's working for Le Chief, but it looks like she still has feelings for Bond. As Bond settles in at the gaming table to square off against Le Chief, he receives a phone call telling him that if he wins, Valerie will be killed. With the help of a mysterious financial backer, Bond might just win this game. But what will happen to Valerie now that Le Chief is getting desperate? And what will happen to Bond? Will he get his toes tortured in a bathtub? Is that oddly specific? Tune in and find out. All right, gentlemen, it's time to discuss our highs and lows. And as always, we start with our guest, Mr. Alan Porter. What are your highs and lows of the 1954 Casino Royale? 
favorite moments you just sort of made that oblique subtle reference to is as weird as it sounds that the bathtub torture scene i think it's really good given the uh, the limitations they had trying to put that scene into it they could hardly do a naked guy on a chair on tv in 1954 so i think what they came up with was really creative really cringeworthy and the fact that you actually don't see what they're doing to his toes you just see his reaction means it's all happened in your own mind it's up to you how awful you think the torture is and i think it's a really creative brilliantly done scene better than a lot of the stuff that's actually in some of the more mainstream bond so i really think the bathtub torture scene was really cool i have a question for you okay in your mind what do you think they were doing to his toes i thought they were pulling his toenails out that's fact, what i thought yeah i was gonna ask that question too yeah before i sat yeah. down to rewatch it i was actually convinced that in my mind that you saw them do that or there was some visual oh. that indicated it but it wasn't there was nothing you just saw his reaction so i was like oh okay that must have been just me making it up i thought they were just kind of squishing his toes oh, okay. the no, players they were just tickling him yeah <laughs> you know, to got a feather yeah. <laughs> I laugh, but that would get me to talk. I'd be like, he's behind the slate on the door. <laughs> I'm with you on that one, yeah. Anybody tickle the bottom of my feet, I'd spill my guts. Yeah, yeah, that's right there. There's a free driver on the desk. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for the interruption, Alan, but it's what we do. <laughs> but please go on. No, no, that was cool. The other thing I spot for me, Peter Laurie is Le Chiffre. I thought he was great. I thought it was a great piece of casting. Yeah. I do wonder how desperate he was for a check, considering the relative skill of the rest of the cast around him. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he outacted everybody on the screen. He's just subtle, low menace. And if you listen to the regular Bond podcast, you know I love the subtle low menace type villains as opposed to the mustache twirling ones I just thought he was very cool um, just that undertone of you know he would stoop to doing anything to save his reputation and get the money no qualms about killing no qualms about torturing no qualms about betraying anybody it was just all about him and saving his own skin and I thought that was really well done he was really creepy yeah again I think the best Lashif as much as Mads whatever his name was in the 2006 Casino Royale I was good it was not as creepy uh, as effective as, as I think Peter Laurie was here. Um, probably my third high point was actually talking of Lashif was Bond using Lashif's own gimmick against him to escape which was the hidden razor blades. They set that up nicely at the beginning when Lida was briefing him about Lashif and his character and the fact he always kept three hidden razor blades around. One was in his hat band, one was in his suit and one was in his cigarette case and the fact that Bond used the one in the cigarette case to cut his own ropes and escape I thought was pretty neat the way they actually brought that full circle. I will actually say just generally I think this is a really good close adaptation of the book considering the limitations that they had in format and time and so forth Rewatching it again this week very pleasantly surprised as to how good an adaptation it was I know there was the nationality switching the role switching but they used a lot of small pieces from the novel in here in a lot of ways it was a really good close adaptation with some really strange twists on top so those were my high points I definitely agree I had only seen this once before probably five years ago and I was like oh okay it's kind of a unique oddity and then rewatching it this time around since I've watched it originally I read the book. Now watching again, I had a new appreciation. I thought this is really quite cool. So I agree with you completely on that point. Woohoo. I'm so. going to mark that one down in the diary. <laughs> That's <Jared>. right. <laughs> it's a little sarcasm in there. I didn't think that. It was subtly covered up by the accent, but I detected it. (laughs) Definitely interested in hearing about the lows, even though, again, I think, well, at least I know Alan and I agree, this is a lot of fun and it's a great watch. But, you know, not everything about it can be great. So what were some of your low points, sir? I said there's not many. Right at the start with the shooting of Bond, the way he sort of cowers behind the pillar. I don't know. That's not James Bond. James Bond wouldn't hide behind a pillar while somebody's taking pot shots at him. He'd be, I don't know. 
know, doing the tuck and roll and trying to go after the guy, but just hiding behind a stone pillar and then sort of brushing it off and walking into the casino. And it just rang wrong for me. And probably the only other thing that really bugged me was not the Jimmy Bond. I hate it when people say this is the one where he's called Jimmy Bond because he never calls himself Jimmy Bond. He calls himself James Bond. Mm-hmm. When the other characters introduce him to third parties, they introduce him as James Bond. Um, it's only Lighter and Valerie that call him Jimmy on a couple of occasions. And it says James Bond on the credits. So this is not the one where he's called Jimmy Bond. It's the one where he's called James Bond. I'm going to get off my soapbox on that one now. Um, <laughs> no, I'm with you. The one thing that really, really bugged me is that he can't pronounce the word Baccarat. Neither can I, as you could tell in my mm-hmm. recap. I, 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 <laughs> I'm sorry, do you mean Baccarat? Baccarat, yeah. Every time he said Baccarat, it was like, no! That, that really bugged me. I think of it as like Burt Baccarat. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who did the theme tune for the even more weird Casino Royale in 67. Yeah. So. Oh, really? Oh. That was my one real low point was Barry Nelson's horrible pronunciation of the game that he's supposed to be an expert at. So very American that he just owned it. It's Baccarat. That's how yeah. we say it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anything else on highs and lows from you, Mr. Porter? Yeah, that was about it. Like I said, overall, rewatching it again, really surprised at how good an adaptation it was and what it did manage to keep from the novel within such a tight time frame and it being a live show, too, within that format and time frame. And when it was done, I thought it was very good. I did not know that that was a live shoot. That is interesting. I that is have, interesting, yeah. I must have missed that. Speaking of your interest, Pat, you want to give us your highs and lows there, Mr. Christados? Unlike you guys, I have never read the book. I have never seen any of the movies, even the newer version. So I came into this really brand new to this one. Interesting. Um, You're like yeah. one of the few people that will experience the 54 Casino before the 2006 Casino. And I've always heard of, you know, Casino Royale and I, you see pictures of him at a table, but that's about it. And I didn't know who Bond was in the beginning when they're shooting. I, I just think, oh, they're shooting at some guy or something. And then then until they introduce who he is, I'm like, oh, okay. So I thought that was kind of odd too. It was like, why is he getting shot at? Is he He's walking into casino and then he walks into casino and then everybody treats him like, oh, it's just no big deal. It happens all the time. (laughs) It's a Thursday here. (laughs) Yeah. Come on down to the office. We'll get it all squared away. And that's okay. (laughs) I was like, oh, that's pretty odd. (laughs) I did say free shots every Tuesday night. (laughs) 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 Highs and lows. The real strange thing was the change in nationality that Bond wasn't British and he's American. So I found that kind of awkward. But I got used to it. Does anybody know the reason? why it was changed like that? Because it was an American TV show. Okay. And the hero has to be American. Damn uh-huh. right. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> if you watch the show with the intro on the DVD version, when they actually do the intro from Climax, they never say the name James Bond. They introduce it as Cena Royale. Yeah. By yep. Ian Fleming, they never talk about James Bond. She said the first time you hear the name is when he's actually introduced when he walks into the casino. So Bond wasn't a well-known character at that point. I know I'm stepping on Pat's turn, but since we're asking questions, I was dying to know this. Why did they they call him Clarence Lighter instead of Felix was Lighter. A, damn it, Jason. <laughs> I do what I want. <laughs> that was my yeah, next question. I have no idea. I think it was just to make him sound more British. Okay. Clarence? Yeah. I don't associate <laughs> that with British. I would have to say, though, I like the actor who played him. Me too. I think he was Me a too, very yeah. smooth guy. Smooth and, Yep. <laughs> <laughs> He played the part very well. And I'm like, wow, this guy could actually be Bond. Yeah, it was good. He's been in a lot of TV shows over the years. Other than, obviously, Peter Laurie, he was the only face I really recognized because he's done a lot of stuff in various TV shows over the years. Speaking of Peter Laurie, the name sounds familiar to me. And when he talked, I'm like, man, where have I seen him or heard him before? Anybody tell me a little bit more? Probably Casablanca. Casablanca, yeah. Ah, okay. And the Maltese Falcon, he was in that. Yeah, he did many, many movies. Would he do any voice acting? No. no. 
not like me, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> just his voice and his like people do like a lot Alan of impressions of him. I Maybe can, that's it. I can yeah. see where you see it because I can remember like in a lot of '80s cartoons and stuff. When they yeah, got, yeah, like Bugs Bunny. Yeah. yeah, okay. Maybe that's where I'm getting confused. I'm like, man, this voice really sounds familiar, and I can't place it. And that's where it is. So it's people doing his voice on cartoons. You know, I'm a cartoon guy. <laughs> <laughs> Mystery solved. Yeah. Uh, other than that, I'm not a big card player. So even though in the beginning they kind of talked about the card game, him and Lighter talking together, I guess that's kind of the sneaky spy part of it where they're both kind of, okay, you keep talking and I'll tell you this and we'll go back and forth like that. I found that interesting as far as sneaky bond kind of things in the show. I like the part where they did something with their matches. So then they knew who each other was. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that was very interesting. Other than that, I really watched it all the way through, soaking it all in for the first time. I definitely would go back and watch it again. I think Valerie was very good as well, too. Her part was good. I just don't know the backstory on her. And you guys knowing the book and all that, do they go more in detail about that? Well, actually, Mathis is a guy yes. in the books. <laughs> 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 They've basically mashed together two characters here. Rene Mathis was the deuxième bureau or the French secret agent who basically helped Bond and funded Bond when he ran out of money, depending on which version one or the other version says the CIA funded Bond when he ran out of money. But yeah, Mathis is Bond's sort of French secret service buddy. So they sort of took his character and then the girl in the book is Vesper Lind and they didn't really use any of her character in here at all. They just really just made Mathis a woman rather than a guy and added the backstory love interest part to it, which was completely new. Okay. I like the sets that they had and would kind of go back through. The only wonky one, I guess, was the elevators. Those elevators move really quick. I wouldn't want to be on one of those. I didn't get that. There was like one or two elevators and they were different. And then he'd walk down a flight and uh, that was just odd to me. Yeah, I was trying to figure that out myself, I have to admit. That's why when yeah. I booked this place where we're podcasting from right now here in mm-hmm. France, I made sure no confusing elevators was a big set. Uh, good. Speaking of which, excuse me, Garçon! Garçon, French fries. This is France. Give me some French fries. <laughs> Jason's ah, doing Hudson Hawk jokes. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Holy cow. That was a deep cut. You got it. I'm proud of you. Proud of my brother right now. Ooh, I'll uh, take that one. Let's see. Other than that, like I said, during the card game, I kind of started catching on when they were going back and forth. Was it just by chance that Bond won? Did it look like Lachie or what is it? Lachie or? Lachif. Lachif. The chief don't like it. Did he have any a way of making sure he would win, or was he just threatening Bond to say you better throw off the game, otherwise Valerie's gonna get it? It's a game of pure luck. There is no skill involved in baccarat other than how much money you've got to throw around. I just didn't know if he had some way of cheating the cards or something like that. Yeah, that's why they have that wooden shoe with the cards sure. in, so nobody can like deal. And okay, if you have five, it's like fifty-fifty chance. Do you stick or do you get another card? You know, I guess it was like if you put Bond off, Bond would sort of deliberately call for extra cards knowing he'd bust his hand or something like that. Okay. So the only low I had is being that it's an older TV show, just sometimes trying to hear certain people in the background or that they may have talked a little bit softer so you couldn't hear them as well. There was a few parts that I had to go back and turn it up just a little bit. But other than that, for this being a TV show, so this was like an hour show, I've never heard of Climax at all either. So I'm kind of interested in that. What other things they did? I think it was a fairly short-lived 
thing, and Alan can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the most famous thing that ever came out of Climax. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Though I was actually, when we were talking about Peter Laurie, I actually went back and looked. He did like five different plays within this Climax series, so oh. he was actually in quite a few of them. I'm just trying to see if I can find out however long it ran. I want to say in my research, you can verify this, I want to say it was only a season. 166 episodes. Oh, then I was way off. <laughs> that was one long <laughs> season <laughs> never any season it's like a baseball season yeah <laughs> so he did a few other shows yeah. in this I think Casino Royale is the most famous one 167 I must have been drinking when I did my research <laughs> <laughs> I did keep my normal counts here so let's go to small count smoke if you got them three cigarettes he smoked alright and for double O player well, there was only one girl there. So. One girl. All right. That's all I got. All right. You ready? No. Too bad. Here we go. <laughs> I'll start with the lows. And well, I guess it's not really a low. Just a little shocking to see the bizarro world of James Bond being American and Felix Slider being British. But once you can get over that, you guys are right. This is a really fairly well adaptation of the book. I guess it's kind of a low, but I thought it was funny. in that scene where you have Lighter and he's trying to find Valerie and he's chasing the back of that girl and he's going through this crowded casino. If you watch it, he's like pushing people out of the way that aren't actually in his way. <laughs> he's like going out of the way to like push <laughs> people. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. I thought that the assassin at the beginning really sucks at his job. I mean, he was like three feet behind Bond and couldn't shoot him in the back. Bond had no clue he was there. I know. He just kept walking in. But I did like the line when Valerie says, were you the guy that was shot or shot at? And he's like, no, I'm the fellow who was missed. That was a great line. And really, I mean, the book is more psychological, at least in the beginning and the middle part, than it is physical at the end where you have the torture scene and everything. Everything. And I thought the film did a good job of setting that up. So you can see the psychological pressures that Bond is under to try to pull this off and all these people that are trying to get in his way, mess with his head and everything. I thought that was really well portrayed in the film, similar to how it was in the book. Pat talked about the matches, but I thought that whole scene was really well done because they were able to both give the plot of the movie and also teach the audience about the game. Because I'm going to guess probably not a a lot of Americans understood how Baccarat, <laughs> sorry, Al, Baccarat is I'm played. just going to go hit my head against the table. Yeah. <laughs> is played. And the book, Ian Fleming can devote pages to explaining the game and you read it and you get it. So I was kind of wondering, like, how are they going to explain this for the movie? And the way they did it, I thought was brilliantly done. And that, folks, is a Pope in the pool. A perfect example of a Pope oh, in the pool. Pat, right there. Oh, it's back. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I recently read Casino Royale. I know this is blasphemy, but I haven't read all the Ian Fleming novels, and I'm trying to make a penance and do that. And I read Casino Royale fairly recently. And that scene where the guy comes up with the gun cane behind him in the book, I was trying to play that over in my mind. And I thought, yeah, in my mind, that looks really stupid. And I don't think that would work. So I was interested to see it done on screen. And it played out exactly as it did in my mind. And I think it was really stupid. And I <laughs> I don't think it would work, but I thought it was kind of cool to see it anyway. The end scene, I think obviously they kind of had a thick set and a budget, so they didn't have the scene in 
the cottage or the house where the torture actually took place. So they had to do it in the hotel. But it was interesting. And Alan, I agree 100%. It was really dark and sinister, especially for a 1954 television movie, the way that they did it. And I was asking myself, are they pulling his toenails out? Or are they like breaking his toes? I couldn't really tell. But the acting in there was superb. I mean, he was really, really selling it. And I was squirming the whole time. I did think it was kind of funny, though, because Lashif said, you're going to sign the check over to me. If you try to lie, I can lie better than you. And I thought, this I would really like to see. I would like to see how he lies his way out of this. <laughs> you know, don't listen to this guy. Because what really happened was he won all this money <laughs> and he felt so guilty about it. <laughs> that he went in his bathtub and pulled his toenails out. <laughs> he beat the crap out of himself, and then he gave me the money. That's what happened. I'd like to see how he sold that story. But, well, we never but got he's selling there, it to honestly. a police force that was genuinely unconcerned with an assassination attempt out on the front yeah. steps of the Right. Well, you know, the show must go on. I was like, how are you going to sell this story? I, was like, I want to see you do this. But overall, I thought the movie was really good. Faithful adaptation to the book. And I really enjoyed it. It's time now for Fun Facts with Jared. I don't have anything extra to throw in. I think you guys covered it all. You covered it well. So I'm going to jump right into my fun facts. CBS offered Fleming, after this aired and was successful and people liked it, they offered him a 32-episode deal for the James Bond character to basically make a James James Bond television series. Kind of lost the time, but the prevailing theory is it just kind of got lost in production and meetings, and Fleming was all for it. He actually wrote some script ideas out for it. Basically, I guess he never really heard back from the studio. I think he just kind of got lost to murky time, but some of the script ideas that he wrote for those television episodes, he turned into the book of short stories for your eyes only. So that's kind of neat. Fun fact number two. This film that we watched, gentlemen, this 1954 Casino Royale was actually lost to time until 1981. No one could ever find a copy of it after it aired in 54. Until 1981, it was discovered in some film archives. And as I understand it, it was originally shot in color, which I thought was pretty bold and brassy for 1954. And none of the color versions have ever been discovered. Wow, there's a mystery there. Mm. That's what I read. But then again, I thought it only lasted one season. So what the hell do I know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, to quote the defense minister. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Lastly, Barry Nelson was sort of an obscure actor. He did a little bit here, a little bit there. I think the biggest thing that he did after this was he appeared in the movie The Shining, Stanley Kubrick's Shining in 1980. So there are your fun facts with Jared about Casino Royale 54. Let's move into our rating scale, gentlemen. We have five casino chips laying out in front of us. We can rate this television show on a scale of one to five casino chips. If you give it all in and you give it a five, you loved it. Four chips means you thought it was very good. Three chips means it was good. Two chips means eh, just okay. And one chip means I did not like it. So, Alan Porter, how many chips are you going to push in on Casino Royale 54? If you'd have asked me before I rewatched it, I would have said three, but having rewatched it, I think it probably deserves four. Nice, nice. Four chips from Mr. Alan Porter. Pat? I'm uh, tossed between a three and a four right now. Well, I thought it was good, not knowing from the books, so I don't have anything else to go on. I'm going to go with the three, just because I thought it was good. I was thrown off by the change, but still a good show. Okay, gotcha. Jason? I'm going to agree with Pat on this one and give it a three for the same reasons he mentioned. I am going to agree with our guest, Mr. Alan Porter. I am going to give it a four, and just like him, if you had asked me to write it on memory, I would have gone three, but having given this a rewatch, 
I'm bumping up to four. It might have something to do with the fact that I just finished the Casino Royale graphic novel adaptation by Van Jensen and friend of the show, Dennis Calero. I can't recommend that enough. If you want to read the novel, but you're like, eh, I don't want to spend the time, eh, cheat and get the graphic novel. It's a really good adaptation. I really enjoyed it. It's a really great adaptation, and I hope they do more of the Fleming adaptations in graphic novel format. Highly recommend it. And of course, you can go to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast and check out the interview we did with the artist, Dennis Calero. As far as our mailbag portion of the show for this episode, since this is a special 10th episode, we are going to do our mailbag next episode on episode 11 when we get back to Sherlock Holmes. But feel free to send in your comments, your likes, your shares, your retweets, and all that stuff for this episode, and we will roll it up with the feedback we got from the last Sherlock Holmes episode. So we will be back with your feedbacks on episode 11. Of course, we always appreciate the likes, shares, and retweets. And if you get a chance, head over to iTunes and give us a review there. That will really help bump up the show's exposure, and we greatly appreciate it. And that is it for this episode of Saturday Matinee Theater. If you'd like to hear more from us in the realm of comic books, check out The Long Box Crusade. Pat, where can they find that? The Long Box Crusade can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and most podcatchers. Otherwise, it's on www.longboxcrusade.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Longbox Crusade or on the Facebook at Longbox Crusade. Back to you, Jared. Awesome. If you want to hear us on our trek through all the James Bond films, check out On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. Jason, where can they find that? Well, Jared, we are on the iTunes, we are on the Google Play, and you can find us on most podcatchers. You can find us at secretpodcast.podbean.com or if you're on the Twitters, you can find us at OHMSpod. Excellent. Mr. Alan Porter, where can they find you? You can find me via my website, alanjporter.com, or on the Tweety Bird, you can get me at, at alanjporter for general stuff and for Bond stuff. I'm at Bond Lexicon. Indeed, and I want to take this opportunity to once again recommend his book, The History of the Illustrated 007. If you like James Bond, and if you like comic books, that is the perfect book. He did an exhaustive research on all the appearances of Bond in comics. Can't recommend it enough. And for those of you who are still hanging on and listening, even though we're not doing Sherlock Holmes today, also head over to Amazon and check out Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective Volumes 6 and 7. Alan has written some stories in those books. So check those out. That's very cool. I'll have to check that out. Thank you for the plug. Check is in the mail. Yeah, I I believe at least one of those volumes, if not both, you worked with Mr. Ian Watson. I think Ian Watson has stories in both of them, actually. Yeah. Yes. Ian Watson wrote Blackthorn, Spires of Mars, and I did the cover art for that book. It's also available on Amazon. (laughs) Plug myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you had to put that in there somewhere. Uh, Do you know anything that has anything to do with werewolves by any chance? (laughs) That's a fine question, Jason. (laughs) I have written a comic book called Hamilton vs. Burr, a werewolf tale. Play the promo, Pat. Alexander Hamilton, Aaron Burr. If you're a history lover or a musical lover, you probably know about both Hamilton and Burr's rise to power in the early stages of American history and their infamous duel. But what if you didn't know the full story? What if one of them was a werewolf? White Rocket Entertainment proudly presents a 48-page full-color comic book, Hamilton vs. Burr, A Werewolf Tale. Written by Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist. Art by Nate Niles. Colors by Ace Wheelie and Ken Solomon. Letters by Percival Constantine. And edited by Johanna Albrecht. Hamilton vs. Burr, A Werewolf Tale. Available digitally on Kindle and Comics Central. C-O-M-I-X Central. Prefer a print copy? Hamilton vs. Burr, A Werewolf Tale, along with my other published works, are available at theyardsaleartist.big.com. 
BigCartel.com. That's TheYardSaleArtist.BigCartel.com. Or you can buy it directly from me, creator Jared Albrecht, the Yard Sale Artist, at any of my Comic-Con appearances. Hamilton vs. Burr, A Werewolf Tale. Get your copy today. You won't regret it. Don't take my word for it. Here's what Ming Chen from AMC's TV series Comic Book Men had to say about it. I really enjoyed it. A lot of great werewolf scenes in here. A lot of great... Uh, this is how I wish history would be told to kids. <laughs> Books like uh, Hamilton vs. Burr, A Werewolf Tale. That's Hamilton vs. Burr, A Werewolf Tale. Speaking of where you can find us personally, Pat, where can they find you if they want to chat with you personally? Well, you can find me on the Twitter at Christatos01. And Jason, if they want to talk to you personally? You can find me on Facebook at Jason Albrick, Instagram Jason Albrick, and I'm at Weasel Skull on the Twitterverse. And Jared, what about you? Well, I'm glad you asked. You can find me on Twitter at Yard Sale Artist, Facebook Yard Sale Artist, and Instagram Yard Sale Artist. Delvin, where can they find you? A trash can. Oh, anyway, thanks yeah. for joining us, everybody. We'll see you the next episode where we'll be getting back to Sherlock Holmes with the Mother Hubbard case. So go out <laughs> to the YouTubes, check out the Mother Hubbard case, and be back here for next episode. For real this time, we're going to do Sherlock Holmes. The meetup location, we're going to leave France. We're going to go back to 221 uh, Baker Street in London. For real. Are we it'll taking be, the channel? It'll be so nice to get back home there again. It will. I'm planning on taking the channel. I'm going to ride on top of the train jump onto a helicopter and then explode said helicopter and ride the explosion wave back to the train. That's the way to do it. And I've given up on this damn plate of french fries. I can tell you that. <laughs> right now. Well, maybe we'll get lucky. we get some chips when we get back to London. Thanks again for being here, Mr. Alan J. Porter, and putting up with our hijinks. My pleasure. I'd love to join you sometime at 221B as well. And that is going to happen. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Cool. Thanks, guys. It was fun. All right. Check you later, dude. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Bye.